Well, hello and welcome back to episode 31 of the T-Druff, the Film Buff podcast. Um, yeah, the, the different different type of news week because I feel like with the launch of Disney+, Plus, there wasn't as much actual news out there. I think people were just at home binging Lizzie McGuire, binging Wizards, wherever they place all the decom movies it was a uh, just a different type of week there just wasn't as much to talk about um but certainly enough to fill the time needed for the podcast including what oh god i i'm just so dreading even talking about this first topic because it really is like an elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about it except the people who have been tweeting about this for over 2 years release the snyder cut so you know, I feel like we've talked about this like four or five times now uh, on the podcast. But um, the main thing that I wanted to bring up is that just yesterday, all of a sudden, you had Gal Gadot, you had Ben Affleck, you had Ray Fisher, uh, you had Zack Snyder, of course, all tweeting about releasing the Snyder Cut. Um, and it it just to me when when you get like even though I don't believe Ben Affleck really controls his Twitter at all, I think it's his PR people. Um, I feel like he at least has some say and like if he wants to put that on his Twitter. When you get somebody like Ben Affleck tweeting about this, who's done with Batman, he's not playing Batman anymore, uh, it feels a little curious uh, to me. And my initial reaction was that, oh, wow, maybe they will actually release what they have or allow Snyder to go back in the editing room and fix up some of the visual effects if he needed, maybe give him, you know, a million dollars if they get all the profits from the the re-release of this movie if they were to do that um still doesn't seem like something that's actually real because so what he was replaced back in february or march i believe it was of 2017 okay the movie at that point had already been done filming visual effects were my understanding far from done um at least on a good portion of the movie. Of course, you have, you know, probably fifty to sixty percent of the visual effects, visual effects done at that point, because it just takes so long for these damn movies. Um, but then you have Joss Whedon coming in, doing some reshoots, the whole Henry Cavill mustache gate type thing, uh, and then of course we get what we got in theaters, which was kind of like a hodgepodge of different styles and tones, none of which really worked. It wasn't any. It wasn't an awful movie. Uh, that's certainly not true, um, but it was something that just didn't feel like a finished product. But why would any of us believe that actually at this point in time, Snyder finished the movie on his own? Had the money to do that? Had I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind he had to do some sort of reshoots. Even have a final cut, so I, I don't know if I believe this whole thing that Jason Momoa, you know, a couple weeks ago, like we talked about, I said, oh, it was just a matter of oh, putting it out on Blu-ray or putting it out on a streaming service, or if you really wanted to put it out in theaters for one weekend for these folks to see, it, then it would have happened uh, if the movie was any good. So that's why it's like it's really weird that all of a sudden now he's got his actors tweeting that out. Haven't heard from Henry Cavill at all. Maybe he's still a little, uh, you know, bitter about the possible replacement of him as Superman because 
seems more and more likely as time goes on that that's going to happen, unfortunately, because Warner Brothers just doesn't know what to do with the character. Um, but uh, if you have at least a couple of those actors tweeting this out, it's got to mean something. Uh, but then, of course, there's articles later last night uh, that, you know, Collider and comic book movie basically just say, no, it's not happening. They don't plan on releasing it at all. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen anytime soon. So don't count on it. Then I saw a couple tweets mentioning this theory, and I actually kind of liked this element to things. Is that you have coming out in May something called uh, HBO Max, right? So I mean, HBO Max is um, basically going to be HBO's streaming service, essentially Warner Media's streaming service. Uh, that will be put out uh, it, it sort of as competition to Netflix, Disney Plus, but I think it's going to be separately. Like all these streaming services have, uh, you, you know, their pluses, their minuses, uh, and they're all different. Like Disney Plus is not going to offer any rated R content, so it's not really ever going to compete with Netflix in that way. But certainly the big budget, like blockbuster TV shows, uh, Disney Plus will certainly be up there competing with Netflix, probably HBO Max as well. Um, a little more on HBO Max later, but I, I found that interesting that maybe they would f- let him finish his movie for a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million if he needed to finish the special effects, because uh, Warner Brothers and HBO is going to br- bring in all this, these new subscribers because of a little new story we're going to have later, uh, and then we'll just put it on HBO Max, and they won't really have to deal with any sort of theatrical release. I think that's a very, very interesting option um, and I think it's kind of more than likely that that, if it was released, that's where it would end up being released. Um, enough with the Snyder Cut. Let's get on to Disney Plus because Disney Plus has launched, uh, launched on Tuesday of last week, so six days ago now. Uh, what have I watched so far? Um, let's kind of run it down. So I've, I've put a bunch of stuff on my actual watch list. Let's go ahead and put up my pull up my watch list right now on my TV and see if we can kind of go through what I've watched, what I'm planning to watch in the next couple of weeks here. Um, Of course, you know, as I'm going to get into in a second, I have watched the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. Um, Well, we'll get into those thoughts in a second because I do have some pretty major thoughts on that. Uh, Okay, watch list. Here we go. So I put a bunch of, it was one of those screens where I clicked on one, recommended one, and then there's like 15 other movies that were recommended to me. And because I'm an animal guy, I put a bunch of movies on my watch list. Like, I've never seen Secretariat. Um, I've never seen a movie called Iron Will, White Fang, The Incredible Journey, which I, I have heard is really good. And I believe that's kind of the original version of Homeward Bound, right? I think that's what it is. Uh, I can't wait to watch that. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, a movie called The Bears and I, Cheetah, The Journey of Natty Gan. And Benji the Hunter. I have a bunch of Benji movies on my watch just on Netflix. Um, but I'm curious to see how I feel about any of these movies. I love Oliver and Company. I put that on my watch list just because I want to watch it again. Uh, of course, my favorite decom movies of all time have to be the, the four of Alley Catch Strike, Double Teamed, Brink, and Right on Track, which is the movie I told Brie Larson I became a fan of her since. Uh, I think the Kristen Bell series Encore is an interesting idea. Uh, I'm not certain it's something I'm going to spend time in watching, but I do love the actual concept of it. 
Noel, of course, not the best review so far, but I am going to check that out at some point. Float, I did actually watch that movie. Let me go ahead and take that off my watch list because I have already seen it. Uh, okay, that was actually a decent short film um, released by Pixar. Of course, Lady and the Tramp, have to watch that at some point. Brain Games, they have all the seasons on here, which I don't believe Netflix does anymore. Uh, of course, The Mandalorian, Wizards of Waverly Place, uh, and Queen of Cotway are on my watch list so far. Um, so, yeah, there's... And wait, why is this appearing on my watch list again? Is it really... Oh, I will also watch Pearl. Um, that was another short film. I- interesting. I-, I don't know how much I actually you know, like it, but you know, what are you going to do, right? Um, let's see here. Let's go ahead and just get into my review of The Mandalorian so far because... So we so this this series was released on Tuesday of last week, the first episode. Um, Thirty nine minutes long was that first episode. Definitely had some thoughts here. So my initial basically reaction to the opening was just great seeing Lucasfilm logo on something that's not a movie, right? I mean, it's been however many years without any live action TV series of Star Wars. Forty years of these of these properties and nothing yet so uh certainly intrigued by uh by but just seeing that it, it opened my mind to what we can possibly get in, in a series like this but um it, it's interesting because i did see a lot of the stuff that they showed i won't say a lot of the stuff but a full scene with, with Werner herzog uh, was shown at star wars celebration so i, I had already seen that uh, it was a good scene um but i love this stuff on the the ship um when he had first captured the guy, not, not necessarily the great character at first, um, but uh, the actual scene where he's the, the, the guy he captured is kind of scoping around the Mandalorian's ship, seeing if he can escape at all, comes across the Carbonite uh, folks that he has locked up there, ready for delivery purchase. Wow, jeez, tired already, jeez, okay. Um, and then, of course, he looks behind him in Mandalorian's right there. It's just a great first scene in a first episode. Um, uh, I think the creature design was pretty good so far, except for a couple things that didn't look 100% real. I thought the scene with the Ugnaught, uh, played by Nick Nolte, was cool. I like that character. I don't really like the sequence where he has to ride the horse thing. Like, I mean, what are we doing here? Uh, completely unnecessary in my mind, and kind of felt something like out of a, an animated series that we'd see for Star Wars. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and pass on that scene. But, um... It comes to the, the part where he, he, he runs into Taika Waititi's droid. Uh, I forget what the droid is actually named, uh, but love Taika Waititi as the droid. That whole shootout is fantastic. Um, that's something out of like Rogue One, like the best scenes of Rogue One that felt like there, um, which is why I do understand that the comparisons that people are having to something like Rogue One, um, just the overall vibe of it feels very Rogue One-esque. Um, and then, the, of course, the final reveal that uh, you know he chooses to keep his target alive instead of bringing him dead, which is like a baby Yoda type creature, like you know, interesting to say the least. Um, and it brings up many, many more questions that I even had for episode two, which is like, so okay, so so he loses his ship or some of his parts of his ship to the the Jawas in episode two, right? So, and he has with him the baby Yoda. Uh, creature, we're just going to call it the child because that's what episode two is called, um, 
And so he has the child with him, right? And so he is he already showed in one scene that he's willing to spare a life and, and kill the droid just to spare that life. Um, and yet, just in episode two, just to get back some parts to his ship, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go... I'll go ahead and kill this creature that's chilling in its own cave, sleeping. I'll I'll do that for you, just just for the payment of, of parts of my ship. Well, it, even though could easily get money back and uh, a payment back for for killing the child in episode one, but he's just I'm just gonna keep this child. Like I'm, you know, where are the morals there? I just found that interesting. Like, what are the what are the boundaries to this character? Like, why save one, kill another? You know, what's what's the mindset there I, i'm just curious like what and, and are we going to get more answers to these type of questions uh, throughout you know the episodes or is it just going to be more um you know he's blurring the lines of things which is i understand he's a freaking mandalorian he's a bounty hunter like you know he shouldn't be just just one side or the other he should play the lines like i get it um i just found that interesting um didn't make too much sense to me at least the first time i saw it so we'll see uh what other notes do i have on that second episode here um uh, i did think that episode was very kid-like um i found it kind of like a waste of time almost that we spent an entire episode for him just trying to get his ship back um 30 minutes like how can you have an episode of 30 minutes uh on only an eight eight episode run make it feel like entirely filler and it's only at 30 minutes i i just wow um yeah i was kind of mad about that but who knows i'm still willing to keep an open mind i just think it just could be better it could be better but i'm willing to keep an open mind i am willing to keep an open mind so we shall see um let's see moving on here i also wanted to kind of bring up the the fact that we're kind of in an age of basically the death of um you know physical media in a way because like i'm looking at my disney plus here and it just how many of these things i already have on blu-ray and how many of these things i would have bought on blu-ray or 4k if i didn't have disney plus and since i'm you know essentially locked into disney plus for another three years like i mean what is really the point in buying some of this stuff on blu-ray or 4k even if you know i feel like it i just like the idea of holding it and owning something like that you know so i don't know it's it's concerning because i am a i'm an old school guy in that way like i like keeping the physical media and i like all of course has all the special features on it for disney plus but like something like you know secretariat uh it looks like they do have the audio commentary for some scenes here but like I mean, there's barely any special features. Um, of course, the com movies don't have special features, but like, you know, something like Lady and the Tramp. Like, what, what, what sort of special features? Let's, let's see if they even have any on here. You know, and like Blu-rays. Yeah, they have nothing but the trailer on here. Like, that's something they 100% would have uh, tons of special features for. Uh, and so I don't know. That's I don't really think. It's still going to bother me. It's going to bother me. Um, but hey, um, I get it. I, I, I get the convenience factor, right? So that's that's what it's ultimately going to come down to. Anyway, let, let's shift gears a little bit here because uh, 
Um, I wanted to kind of talk about a movie I actually just saw over the weekend or Thursday, uh, which was Ford v. Ferrari. Um, really, really liked the movie. Um, and I found this interesting uh, tweet from Not Another Pod, uh, Not Another Movie Pod. Basically, Christian Bale came out and said that he's done with weight fluctuations uh, for roles or he'll die. So this has kind of defined Christian Bale's career, maybe even more so than having the role of Batman himself. Um, because you have like a, a movie like an early part of his career, he basically showed what he'll do. He dropped 63 pounds. I believe it was, all he was doing was eating a can of tuna a day and like a, a glass of water or something to drop 63 pounds for the machinist where he looks absolutely disgustingly frail in the movie great performance pretty solid movie as well and then like a year after he's like oh i'll just gain a hundred pounds or batman begins that's why in batman begins he almost looks like kind of too big it's almost like thick muscle um and not necessarily like uh ready for you know, the Dark Knight Christian Bale, where, like, his face looks a lot more thin, but his body's still huge because uh, he had to, you know, drop 50-plus pounds for Rescue Dawn the year after Batman Begins, then gain another 20 back for the Dark Knight in muscle. Then a couple years later for the fighter, he drops 30 pounds, gains 43 a couple years later for American Hustle, gains 40 again for Vice, and that was, like, I mean... The vice weight gain was a little concerning. Uh, and then, of course, this year he dropped 70 pounds, apparently, for Ford v. Ferrari. And you can't even really tell that he, he had dropped that much weight uh, until there's, like, a sequence where you could see most of his arms. Uh, and his face is certainly a little more frail as well. But it, it's not it's not as drastic of a weight change. But Ford v. Ferrari is a fantastic movie. Uh, just just phenomenal, phenomenally paced um, the action scenes with the racing are great. I'm not a racing guy or car guy at all, and I was pretty enthralled by everything that was happening on screen. Um, so really loved that. I thought the performance was really good. Some interesting developments in the third act that I guess really all I had to do was look up the true story of the movie and I would have known, but did not see coming. Uh, so I was pretty thrilled with some of that um, because anytime you can be surprised in a movie is a plus, right? Uh, so loved that there. Christian Bale should be nominated. I don't think he's going to get in, though. It's a pretty tight race for lead actor this year with Joaquin Phoenix, with Adam Driver, um, with, um, oh, God, he's in Pain and Glory. What is his name? What is his name? Uh, Antonio Banderas. Um, and then who else do we have in the race? I guess you could throw um, Taron Egerton in there you could throw timothy Chalamet's probably not in there for the king but you know like people like that maybe eddie murphy's in there for dolomite um so pretty tight race i don't think christian bale is probably going to get in anyway but for ferrari's got a shot to just get in for the technical categories as well maybe just a, a sleeper best picture nominee you know maybe the seventh or eighth in not really a chance to win it all but just be up there for the nominees um also found it interesting that the Kingsman, aka the Kingsman prequel, pushed to September. What seven months after it was originally planned? I thought the trailers to that movie looked great, and it was being pushed to September. That smells of reshoots to me. But maybe they just found that uh, there was a little more openings in September. They thought they'd make more money. But I thought they had some momentum here building into uh, February, and it was going to be. Um, something good, but maybe Disney, you know, because Disney, of course, owns the uh, 
Fox now. So they maybe they just asked him to push it, and they said, okay, all right, we'll do it. But wow, that was that was weird. But um, okay, so let's get into this here because it was announced that Friends is going to have a reunion, an unscripted reunion though. Um, so they won't be playing their characters of the original series. It's going to be some sort of reunion special. Can't imagine it being an actual series. Um, probably just one-time thing. But even with that said, um, there's something there's something to like HBO Max putting this out for the series, which is what it's probably going to be. Um, kind of getting the fans excited. Maybe just maybe that this kind of sparks further interest if there even can even be further interest to actually do a scripted reunion show i would kind of prefer to be unscripted just because i'd be worried as to what they would do with the characters in a scripted format some of the humor maybe some of the the dialogue doesn't necessarily hold up as well as uh, some other shows Uh, so uh, i think it's probably best it's in an unscripted um Reunion special, maybe they just get on a talk show. Maybe Conan hosts it because he usually does these type of things. He's a big friends guy. He's close with Lisa Kucho. Um, and they just kind of you know, go through memories as much as they can remember at this point. Because I remember I listening to a couple of interviews. Like, not a lot of the, you know, the cast actually, like, has stories. I, I've heard uh, Matt LeBlanc and Lisa Kudrow say on multiple occasions, like, they don't really remember most of it. It was just it's a long time ago. It was a really part of their lives. It's really first acting roles that a lot of them had um and i don't really know how much matthew perry's gonna remember he was going through his own issues at the time anyway so be very very interesting to see how that all plays out and what sort of angle they take uh for the reunion show i'm excited because anything you can get with the original six and the original creators involved i'm down for i just i i just i'm curious i'm interested I don't really know what you can do in an unscripted realm that isn't just sitting around talk show uh, about the memories they had. But that's certainly going to bring a lot of subscribers to HBO Max. You can bet on that. Um, I don't really want to talk about this whole James Dean thing. kind of creeps me out that James Dean is being brought back for a movie role. I don't even remember if we talked about it last week or not. It's pretty freaking crazy. It seems absolutely ridiculous uh, but at the same time if this gains further interest in another movie out there in theaters that deserves to be seen then so be it i guess if his if his estate signs off on the the like his likeness being used for a movie why why should i be the one uh to say no it can't happen right um so i guess that's really all i have to say on that that's pretty much the show uh, I believe Haim just put out a new song as we speak. This is what the second time in three weeks I've talked about Haim on the show. Absolutely phenomenal. Love it. Uh, hope that album comes out soon. Can't wait to listen to the new song. But that is it. We will go ahead and close out the show here. Um, T. Drop the Film Buff Podcast, episode 31, in the books.